are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're on a 40-day journey together where that many of us come into a room like this on Sunday morning, and we realize deep in our hearts we need to experience real change. I need God to change me. But we know that we cannot change ourselves. All we can do is place ourselves before God and ask Him to change us. And we can do that through certain practices. And so I've been challenging you to adopt one or improve on many of six practices. And so I've been getting lots of response from you over these last uh, several weeks. And some of you have said, Pastor Rick, I've made a new decision in my life. Church is no longer something that I'm going to do when nothing else is going on. But worshiping together has become a priority for me. So on Sunday mornings, you're going to see me here because it is priority. Worshiping together is one of those practices that no longer is kind of relegated to if I don't have anything else better going on, I'll go to church. No, it's number one on the list. It's priority. And some of you have been talking to me about your daily prayer time and Bible reading, your one-on-one time with God, a second practice. And some of you have talked to me about how that alone is changing you. Others have found places to serve. I sat with a lady the other day who said, this is where I'm serving, Pastor, and I love it. I love going every week and serving in this location. Some of you have been working on your giving, and you've become more generous with your resources. Some of you are sharing your faith, and you're looking for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. But the one that I hear the most about in these few weeks, the one that I hear most about is people telling me, I am in a small group and it is life-changing for me. And so what happens is people have gotten together in smaller groups and we provide in the worship folder on Sundays, on the very back, some study questions where you can sit around in a circle together and you can talk about what the sermon was on Sunday morning. And many of you are making new friends and you have people praying for you and you're praying for others and you're investing in somebody else's walk with God and they're investing in your walk with God And it's certainly transformational. So I was in a group last Sunday night in the chapel in the realm. And there was a lady in my group and her name is Brenda. And Brenda said, as we were talking about prayer, because that's what last Sunday's sermon was about, she goes, Pastor, I got in my car with my dad one day. Now she's an adult. And we were leaving his house. And we stopped at a stop sign on the way out. And my dad says, Brenda, you see that stop sign? And she says, yeah. And he says, every day when I leave the house and I stop at this stop sign, that's where I start praying for you. And she said, really? Yeah, every day. When I leave my house and I stop at this stop sign, that's my cue to start praying for you. You remember the bridge down here that we'll get to in a little bit? Yeah. That's where I start praying for you, sister. And so, I believe that when we get together like that, sometimes God speaks through you to talk to me. And, and I remember thinking, what, what if when I left my house in the morning and I got to the end of my street at the stop sign, that's where I begin to pray for my granddaughter Sadie on my way to work. And, and what if I got to the end of Chelsea and I begin to pray for my daughter Morgan? And, and what if when I got to council, I prayed for Brittany? And what if when I got to 50th, I prayed for my son-in-law Tim? And what if I got to Rockwell, I prayed for my wife Annette? And it's only a seven-minute drive for me to work in the mornings, 
But what if I took that seven minutes and invested in my own family and I prayed for them because I never, ever, ever feel like I spend enough time praying for my family and I love them so much. And here's what I believe. Are you listening to me? I believe with everything in me that God expects me, okay? God in heaven knows my name, knows who I am, and He has expectations for me. And I believe that He expects me to invest in the lives of my family members, not only in prayer, but in conversations about our faith journey. It's no different in my relationships with other people. I believe, I believe with everything in me that God believes that His expectations for me are that I would invest in other people's lives, Christian journeys. And here's why I believe that. Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples. Okay, Jesus, what does that look like? He says, well, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Once they're convinced, you celebrate this life change. Let me work in their hearts. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And so I believe with everything in me that God fully expects me to be invested in other Christians, teaching them what I know, okay? Praying for them, spending time with them, studying the Word with them, growing together in our faith. I believe that God expects that of you too. So, let's go to the book of Acts, all right? Chapter 2. Begin reading with verse 42, and I'll read through verse 47. What you have here is uh, Jesus coming and walking the earth, um, which has resulted in him becoming the most influential person who has ever lived in the history of the world. He has more followers than anybody has or ever ever had. Um, He was crucified on a cross. He was raised from the dead. And for 40 days he appears to his disciples and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. He says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise my Father has given you. And so they waited, and at Pentecost they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches, 3,000 more people became Christians that day. So people are being added to the number every day, okay? The church is growing like crazy. And what you have is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, what does that look like? What does the church look like? What does it mean to be a part of this community of faith? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be in this community? And what Luke does in these verses is he gives us a picture of that. And what you find in this picture is community, 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 community. You ready? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was done mostly in the context of community. Some believers coming together, listening to the apostles' teach. And they devoted themselves, number two, you see it, to fellowship. I don't know any better way to say community than to say fellowship. That means friendship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You know what this means? If you think it means the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, you're right. But it was always preceded by a common meal where a group of people would eat together, pray, sing some songs, and then take communion together, receive communion together. And they devoted themselves to prayer. That was often done in the context of community. Everybody was filled with awe and at the many wonders and signs the apostles performed. And all the believers were together. That's community. They had everything in common. What does that mean? Well, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together. That's community. In the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes. That's community. And they ate together. That's community. With glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And no wonder the next sentence says what it says. Because people wanted to be a part of a community like that. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So I'll calm down. This is God's word for today. Okay? I was... Uh, I was with a guy who attended this church a few years ago, but ended up attending another church. And I understood why he attended the other church. I think he made a good decision in attending that other church, given his situation. But when that situation changed, he wasn't going to continue at that church. He was going to go to another church. And so he came back to this church. So I was having dinner with him one night, and I said, Hey, I'm really glad that you're back at BFC. Got to ask you a question. You could attend any church in the city. Why did you choose to attend Bethany First Church? And he says, good question. We thought long and hard about it. We even visited some other churches. But when it came down to it, do you know why we came back to BFC? Here was his answer. And it wasn't for the preaching, which shocked me. I thought it would be. (laughs) He said, the reason we came back to BFC was because... We have so many friendships there. And we wanted to be part of that community. I remember talking to a guy a few years ago who said, Pastor, we went to church, to school rather, at Southern Nazarene University. We were part of BFC. And then we moved away to another state. Do you know why we moved back here? No, why did you move back here? Because we knew that the people in this church would help us raise our kids. And they would become their aunts and uncles. And they would be family to us. And now years later, it's exactly what happened. See, you and I, we have a need to belong to a people. Now, it works the opposite way as well. Once in a while, on Sunday morning, somebody will introduce me to somebody. And they'll say, this is my first time here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. My name's Rick, and I'm the pastor, and all that, and we hope you come again. And then maybe a couple Sundays later, I'll see him again, and I'll wave at him, and hey, I'm glad you're back. And then maybe another Sunday, I'll see him, and I'll wave, glad you're back. And maybe I get to know them a little better. And they start coming, and they say, we love the church. And we say, we love you being here. We want you to be a part of our church family. And, and after maybe a few months, you know, this happens when you're a preacher. You kind of sit straight up in the bed in the middle of the night, and Annette says, what's wrong? And you say, I haven't seen those people for weeks. And you call them on the phone. And you say, we miss you. And you know what they say? Yeah, we loved it there. We really liked the services and we liked being there, but we didn't seem to find our place. We really didn't seem to fit. And you know what they're saying to me when they say those words? They're saying, we didn't become a part of the community. We didn't ever feel like we really belonged to anybody. And it's your place and my place to help people who are coming for the first time to begin to feel like they belong here and to make them like family to us. So this is where we're going to get serious. I'm going to look you in the eye. And I'm asking you to look me in the eye. Okay, you ready? And here's some pretty profound questions. And you can't just shove them off to the person behind you. I want you to deal with these questions, okay? So here's the question I'm going to ask you this morning. Who is it in your life that you walk a faith journey with? Who is it in your life that you talk with about your relationship with Jesus? Who is it? 
Who are the people in your life when your marriage is kind of in a struggle that you actually talk to about the fact that my marriage is kind of struggling right now? Who is it that you go to when somebody that you love, a family member, a child, son, a daughter, a mother, father, brother, sister, somebody that you really love is going through some hard times or you're struggling with them? Who do you go to in times like those? Who can you name for me right now, okay? Who would you say this person prays for me every day, invests in my walk with God, we have conversations about my faith journey, we look at the Scripture together, and we pray together. Who is that in your life? Tim, you got names? Can you name names? See what I'm saying? Jeremy, can you give me names of people like that right there? Brenda, can you tell me names of people? If I ask you that question, just say, these are the people, Rick, who are that in my life. And, and when I ask that question, I realize there's some people in the room saying, yeah, I don't have that. I can't give you names of people who talk to me about my relationship with Jesus and I talk with them. Of people who are praying for me and studying Scripture with me. People who are holding me accountable. People that I belong to. People that really care that deeply about me. I can't give you names. But when I look at the New Testament... That's the culture of the New Testament. That's how people live. That's how they behaved. And so I read words in the New Testament like uh, one another. I see it a lot. And words like together. I see it a lot. And, and, and the instructions are that you should, uh, you should meet together and you should spur one another on toward loving good deeds and you should encourage one another and you should pray for one another and you should confess to one another and you should live in harmony with one another and you should instruct one another and you should admonish one another and you should love one another over and over and over and over again. And that's the Jesus way. Jesus never said, I'm a maverick, guys. I'm on my own. I'll do my thing. You do yours. Oh, no. Jesus had these 12 guys. Come here, all 12 of you. Come on, seriously, come on. And 12 gets around him, you know. And he does life with those 12 men. And he invests in those men. And then he's got three of the 12 that he pulls in even closer. And then he's got this house where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were siblings, lived. And he went to their house all the time. You know what he did when he went there? He just hung out. Because Jesus lived his life in that kind of community. So... When you think about your own life, are you living that way? Can you name names? So let's talk about this Acts 2 passage, okay? Um, I was in an event not long ago, and there was a guy speaking, and, uh, and it was good. He, he knowledgeable guy. And they had done a study uh, with boys and girls, young boys, young girls. And here's what they did. You ready? They would put two little girls in a room with nothing in the room but two chairs. That's it. A room with nothing in it but two chairs, two little girls. You just yawned right in the middle of my sermon, didn't you? Yes, you did. You did. You yawned. I'm doing my best up here, and you're yawning. And these two little girls in the room, and they did it over and over and over and over and over again with different... Girls, okay, two come in, they do the time limit, two more come, do the time, two more. Invariably, every time the two little girls would end up sitting in the chairs, and you know where the chairs would be facing? Amy, where are the chairs facing? 
each other. You're right. So now they try it with boys. Two boys in a room with nothing but two chairs. One group, another group, another group. Invariably, they end up in the chairs. Do you know where the chairs are facing? Forward. Over and over and over and over again. You know what it tells me? It tells me some of us do it right and some of us do it wrong. That's what it tells me. No, it tells me that we're all different. I mean, we're, we're daylight and dark some days. And, and, and just beside the male-female thing, I mean, think about some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are very analytical. Some of us haven't thought about anything yet in our life. I mean, we're just all so different. And when you talk about finding community in your life, like the early church had, you've got to realize it's not one size fits all. You've got to find what works for you. But here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. I'm going to say it as clearly as I can. You have got to find a way to live like those early believers lived. And you've got to live in the context of community. And you've got to be invested in somebody's life. And somebody's got to be invested in your life. And you've got to be praying for people. And they've got to be praying for you. And you've got to be looking at the Word together. And you've got to be encouraging each other and admonishing one, one another and loving one another, encouraging, spurring one another, etc. All that stuff, it's got to be happening in your life. God expects it to be happening in your life. Did you say yes, yes? Yes, yes. I love it, Dad. Yes. Okay, so... Um, who holds you accountable? So when you really need it, who looks you in the eye and say, we need to talk? Who is that in your life? Who, um, who do you feel like, I belong to these people. These are my people. When Annette and I were living in Columbia, Tennessee, there were these two couples in our church and they had kids. And we got together a lot. When I say a lot, I mean like a lot. We never, we never ever said this. We never said, you know what? And this was for years. We never said, we really should call them and try to get together. It's been a long time. We never said that. Never. You know what we said? We were on the opposite side. We said, is it too soon to call them again? I mean, they were just here two nights ago. We, we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't call again. No, we're going to do it. And we called them. And they came. We've never ever in our lives had community quite like that. Who cares about you? I mean, when the wheels fall off your life, what's the first call you make? Who is it you're going to call? The early church, these people that we're talking about this morning, they didn't have any buildings. This right here, what you're seeing, what you're setting in, they had nothing like this. They didn't even have sheds. I mean, nothing. No buildings. There was no such thing. So when you get into the book of Acts here, you get over to chapter 5, verse 41, you know what they do? They take the gospel house to house. There was no idea, we're going to invite you to our church so you can hear the gospel. Oh, no, no, no. We're coming to your house. There was no building. And so when you get to Acts 20, 20, it says from Paul that we taught you publicly and from house to house. We kept going to each other's homes and we kept talking about the gospel in each other's homes and we were 
kind of discipling each other in our homes. We didn't have any buildings. So how did we get buildings? Well, when you read the word ecclesia in Greek, which we translate church in English in the New Testament, it doesn't mean a building. It means a gathering of people. In fact, there weren't any such things as buildings for the early believers. They didn't have any for 300 plus years. But in 314, Constantine became the emperor and he also became a Christian. And now you could actually be public about your faith and you could build a building. And that's what they started doing. And all of a sudden, church became associated with a location, a building, a place. Up to that point, it was never the case. And so think about this with me, okay? So you've come in this morning and you're sitting in rows. Look at you guys. You're all sitting nice little rows. And you sit there really nice and you listen like you were supposed to. And now you're listening like you're supposed to. I mean, if we said to those early believers in that first century, okay, we're going to do ecclesia, all right? Come on here to a place like this and get in your rows like this. And we're going to do ecclesia. We're going to gather. They would have said, are you nuts? Ecclesia is not done in rows. Ecclesia is done in circles. <laughs> Ecclesia is not about attendance. It's about being attached to a community. Ecclesia is not coming in and sitting down and listening. Ecclesia is participating. Ecclesia is not this. It's being a part of a group of people. It's belonging and being held accountable and being cared for and being loved and studying the Word together and praying for one another. That's what Ecclesia is. I'm telling you, we've got to get back to it. We're losing it. So, why would you ask me to do this, Rick? Why would you ask me to seek this in my own life? Why would you ask me to find some way to get in a smaller group of people where we can have ecclesia. I think there's, there's, there's many good reasons, but let me tell you that when I lived in Columbia, Tennessee, years ago, I was 30 years old, I began pastoring that church, and there was a movement in those days called Promise Keepers. Um, football coaches were calling men to come to stadiums together, not to watch football games, but to grow in their faith. And we were loading up buses of men from our church, and taking them places, even like Washington, D.C., we went and had that deal, me and men march on the lawn. And so it was awesome. And we came home from there, and some guy said to me, would you want to be in a small group with us? And I said, yeah, I would do that. And so Paul and Dwight and Joe and me, we met for seven years every Thursday for lunch. And 95% of those meals were at a Mexican restaurant called the La Hacienda. And the only thing I would say about that is that was way too many refried beans, and I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> but we met, we met for seven years every Thursday for lunch. We were honest with each other, and we confessed sin to each other, and we talked about where we were tempted with each other, and we prayed for each other, and we talked about our marriages, and we talked about our kids. And we talked about Sunday's sermon. And we talked about Scripture. And sometimes we worked our way through books. And every week we ask each other some really hard questions. 
And I didn't always want to answer those questions. And as a 30-year-old young man, it was transformational for me. Seven years with those guys. And when you look at this story, they commit themselves to these practices because they can't change their own hearts. All they can do is put themselves before God and say, would you change me? And so they committed themselves to these practices of the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, those practices. And as you read on through the paragraph, you realize it was life-changing for them. Now they're hanging out together like crazy and they're taking care of each other and they're worshiping together and they're enjoying the favor of people and people are being added to their number because who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? Okay. I'm going to talk about one other thing and then I'm finished. We're almost there, okay? Here we go. We talked last week about the principle of the path. You remember? Two of you? Principle of the path, remember that? You're all on a path. There's a predictable destination. Financially, you're on a path that has a predictable destination, right? In your relationships, you're on a path. There's a predictable destination. So let's talk about discipleship, okay? You discipling other Christians. You ready? You're on a path. So if you keep doing what you're doing right now, where does that lead you? You with me? Does that make sense? Travis, here's what I'm asking you. You're on a path right now in your personal discipleship of other people. So if you keep doing for two more years, let's just pick a number, two more years, if you keep doing what you're doing right now, what does that look like? How many people will you disciple? Do you understand what I'm asking you? Does that make sense? Mike, you with me? So if you keep on the path that you're on right now, whatever you're doing in discipling other believers, if you keep doing exactly what you're doing for two more years, how many people will you disciple? Is that making sense, Vicki? You with me? So you're doing something right now. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you keep doing that, how many people you disciple over the next two years? So how about you? How many people? And some of you are going, I don't know. Do you have a plan? No, I really don't have a plan. Well, then would you do me this favor? Until you get a better plan. Would you take my plan of being in groups together and do that? Because I promise you, when you're in a group, you are going to get to do this. You are going to get to talk to people about their journey with God. And you are going to get to talk to people about Scripture. And you are going to get to pray with people and pray for people. And you are going to get to share with people what you already know. And you are going to get to be a part of the discipling of other believers. And while that's happening, they are going to be discipling you. And you're going to grow in your faith. Because there are many of you here today that would say, Rick, I can't name names for you. If you want to know who is studying God's Word with me, I don't have a name. If you want me to tell you who is praying and meeting with me, I don't have a name. If you want me to tell you who is investing in my walk with God, I don't have any names. I don't have that in my life. So let me make the path really clear for you, okay? Here's a really creative idea. You ready? This is major creative. You ready? Here we go. Say to a few people, you want to meet together? Give it a shot. So in the worship folder, there's some questions about Rick's sermon that we could sit down and talk about. Want to do that? That's one way. It's the easiest way I know. To a couple, three, four, five friends, hey, you want to do this? 
Here's another way. Some of you are in Sunday morning classes. But some of you are in classes that run about 100 people. And what if in those classes you said, what if we did eight by eights, like dinner for eight or something like that? What if we got into smaller groups, maybe once a week or once every two weeks, and we actually talk about these questions and we invest in each other and pray for each other and talk about each other's faith journeys? A third way would be we have electives going on right now. Many of them are on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. I mean, they're all time. And you can pick up a brochure at the entry. And it will tell you about all the electives. Choose one of those. They're done in group experiences, around tables most often. And here's the last way. Tonight at 6 o'clock in room 150, Chapel in the Round, you can walk in that room and you can sit down at a table. There will be a host and hostess at the table. And they're going to make you feel very welcomed, very cared for, very loved. And you can do small group with that group tonight at 6 o'clock in room 150. So those are pretty simple paths that you can take to get into a smaller group of people and begin to disciple them and let them disciple you. We're all built differently. It's not one size fits all. You've got to find what works out for you. But that's what I'm expecting you to do. And as you place yourself before God in a group experience, say, Lord, would you change me? I went to a group Sunday night and I've prayed differently every day this week because of it. And God can use those experiences to transform you. Here's another practice that we can do through which we experience transformation, and it's right here in front of me. So practices is something that we physically do with our bodies, our minds. So when I pick up that bread and that juice and I physically lift it to my mouth and I eat it and I swallow it and I drink it, that's a practice where I'm saying, God, through this practice, would you change me? Would you change my heart? And so those of you who are going to service, would you come at this time and could we all stand together now? So in our church, we practice open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church. The only thing I would say to you is that if you are sincerely seeking Jesus, then feel free to eat and drink. If for any reason you're not comfortable, do not feel obligated. Let it pass you by. People do that every time we practice this together. For whatever reason, they don't want to do that right now. But if you are sincerely seeking Jesus, I invite you to share in this practice with us. Okay? So once you receive the bread and the juice, hold them in your hands. And after everybody has been served, then we will all eat together. Okay?
I want to be changed. When Jesus was with the disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. strength and trust him to change you and love your neighbor as yourself. Go now in his peace you are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org